Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any hosts or guests' individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good evening. Welcome to the Bright Not Broken radio show on the Coffee Clatch. We are so excited to have you join us this evening where we're going to be talking about a topic that, of course, is very near and dear to our hearts called Mentally Gifted, Not Mentally Disordered. And our special guest tonight will be Dr. Enrico Naletti. We are so excited to have him. And before I get started, I'd like to be sure and mention our wonderful, fabulous sponsor, Mayor Johnson. That's M-A-Y-E. R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com. Uh, with every child, there is a solution. And by exploring a variety of educational solutions, you can visit MayorJohnson.com and find all kinds of useful tools and resources. And we are thankful uh, for them and sponsoring our program. So um, let me just tell you a little bit about what tonight is about. Most of our, um, and many, I, sh- I meant to say many, but of course most of our gifted kids tend to be misunderstood and misdiagnosed. And often with ADHD, bipolar, uh, autism, Asperger syndrome, and other related conditions, having the right lens to view the many characteristics that these uh, unique individuals present with is key. Tonight, we're going to be discussing what does a mentally gifted kid look like. Too often, when a child is fidgety, restless, argumentative, aloof, or unmotivated, our teachers and our care providers um, unfortunately assume that they're that these are signs of a disorder rather than possibly signs of giftedness. Our special guest tonight, Dr. Naletti, is a, is a psychologist in private practice in California. He specializes in child and adolescent therapy, assessment, parenting consultation, couples therapy, and in-depth adult individual therapy. He has published a host of scholarly articles and magazine pieces and is the author of Emotional, I'm sorry, Emotion Regulating Play Therapy with a ADHD children, staying with playing, as well as his forthcoming book, which we will talk a little bit about tonight, Back to Normal, The Overlooked Ordinary Explanations for Kids' ADHD, Bipolar, and Autistic-Like Behavior. Welcome, Dr. Naledi. Thanks for having me, Diane. We are so excited to have you tonight because you and I, as we've discussed, share uh, so many important points on this subject. and. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just honored to have you tonight and to talk about your work and your book. All right. And I, and as we get started, if you could, um, I've given them just a brief overview of who you are, but tell us a little bit about yourself and what led um, to your interest in gifted kids who think and learn differently. How did you get started down this track? 
Well, I mean, I really from direct experience, in other words, you know, there were so many kids and teens showing up in my office who I conducted psychoeducational testing with that um, uh, I assessed as gifted only to discover um, afterwards and sort of going over the results with with, uh, school officials that they were just not seeing it that way and that, you know, the, the some of the disorganized behavior, the argumentativeness, the seeming spaciness, fidgetiness, you know, it was sort of like all roads lead to Rome, Rome being a diagnosis typically of ADHD. And as, as we'll talk about later, the confines there between giftedness and, and you know, high-functioning autism. And, and frankly, I, so I was sort of moved ethically because of that. It was something... It was really an ethical impulse that made me want to write about this because to me there was something tragic that a gifted child, a mentally gifted child, what what I like to call a budding intellectual, Mm -hmm. uh, then could get sort of feedback from important adults in their life that that indeed is not the case. And in fact, there's something distorted about them. And there was something essentially tragic about that to me that, that, that generated an ethical impulse in me to want to, you know, explore it some more and explore it, you know, both in terms of uh, just, you know, my writing and it, it, this, this very topic shows up in my new book that will be released in uh, this coming September by Beacon Press. Um, and, and just, and, and, you know, being interviewed on, on this very show. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually happy to have this opportunity to kind of unpack some of the ideas I have here about the sort of the confines that exist between giftedness and some of these other disorders that, but, that are not really evidence of, of the disorder, but of actually of, of maladiftedness. Right. You know, I and I know that um, Rebecca, who unfortunately couldn't be with us this evening, but is also um, not just a professional in the field, but a parent as well. So we, we both live and work this. And mm-hmm. I know that she would appreciate your your frame of reference about it being an ethical an ethical decision because I think we mm-hmm. we would totally agree with that. Um, we feel it is tragic. I, I know mm-hmm. I have felt that. Um, my son is now twenty, almost twenty three, and um, it it's very concerning to me how you know, such exceptional giftedness can be overlooked in the face of characteristics that just aren't understood. There you go. And society as a whole misses out. I mean, we mentioned this, and I know, Uh, you know, I hear that's what you're saying, that, you know, (laughs) these aren't just tragedies within a family or within just a small community that, that know these children. These are gifts that, you know, left undiscovered and a child left to you know, to to not be able to fully blossom definitely mm-hmm. impacts all of us. I completely agree. Absolutely. Well, you know, um, as we mentioned, many of these kids are misunderstood and misdiagnosed, and um, especially, and you and I have discussed this, and of course it is a, a strong topic in our book with, with Temple Grandin on board, mm-hmm. um, we talk about the the comparison of giftedness and uh, ADHD, but also mm-hmm. of autism spectrum disorders. Mm-hmm. Can you 
can you first describe for us what a mentally gifted kid looks like and how some of those characteristics that define them are often confused with these behavior disorders? Will you give us your take on that? Sure. Um, I mean, of course, there's no one type of mental giftedness or prototype, so you know, I'll, I'll be talking in generalities here, kind of are lo- looking at patterns that are shared maybe across uh, mentally gifted kids. And, you know, I'd rather than getting into kind of what is mental giftedness, maybe it's more relevant for our talk tonight for me to discuss some of the personality characteristics and cognitive styles, mm-hmm. generally speaking, of mentally gifted kids that sometimes mimic evidence of, of, a, of these disorders that really aren't. So, so if you t- take, for instance, that, um, you know, m- many mentally gifted p- kids pick up on concepts quickly, they finish their work rapidly, and, and they're susceptible to waiting around for others to finish, and they, it, 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 on a daily basis in an average classroom, may just get alienated by the slower pace and extensive repetition that other classmates need to grasp concepts. So it's, I mean, I, in my book, I write about a study that shows that, that mentally gifted kids spend about a quarter to half of their school day waiting uh, uh, for other kids to kind of c- catch up with them. And so all of this sort of um, can create restlessness, boredom, alienation in the classroom that then result in them sort of like making clever quips daydreaming, doodling, engaging in off-task behaviors that are really their way of trying to just uh, stimulate themselves out of boredom. At at one level, you have that going on. At other times, you know, a mentally gifted kid kid, kid has such a, sometimes they have such a tremendous capacity for what I will call mental engrossment that they really dig deeply into whatever is, at hand, be it reading a book, engaged in a project, oblivious to their surroundings. And oftentimes that can come across as sort of a form of spaciness, inattentiveness, failure to follow direction, uh, failure to listen. You know, some of these, you know, ADHD-type symptoms that are really not that, but really are kind of just a, a, a fallout, if you will, from the kid's tremendous capacity to just immerse themselves, you know, in the task at hand. Oftentimes, mentally gifted kids are perfectionistic. They want to stay at a task or a project or a solution until they get it just right with all the detail and complexity necessary. And so, you know, in an average classroom where, you know, uh, transitions and changes need to occur fast and frequently, um, that, that child may stubbornly persist and want to keep doing what they're good at doing or what has engrossed them in the moment. And um, that could be misperceived as them being sort of off-task or off-topic and so on and so forth. Yeah, another ADHD-type symptom is, you know, like, like, like fractability, but sometimes the mental process of some uh, mentally gifted kids where they, their mind darts from one idea to the next because they just perceive a rich pattern of connections uh, where their, their ideas are bouncing around in their head where they literally have a, they're experiencing an abundance of ideas. Um, this is not distractibility. This, I would say, is a form of mental aliveness. Um, that, that, I like that. Oh, my. 
I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm going. I'm, we're going to mm-hmm. have to tweet that word, mental aliveness. I love that. Absolutely love that. Go continue. Go on. I just had to. I had to point that out. That's a great term. Yeah, and if and if you sit with a kid and 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 you know, oftentimes that they're engaged in a monologue because they're having so many ideas all at once. Usually, those internal consistency to what to the ideas and what they're talking about, they're not jumping around from idea to idea, you know, in a disconnected fashion. Usually, there's internal there's a, a, a integrity there to the kind of the you know the the, the themes that they're, they're discussing. So you know, so you have to be careful just misconstruing that as just a form of kind of uh, distractibility. Um, I mean, in terms of hyperactivity. You know the the the, the Polish um, uh, uh, psychiatrist, the Brodsky, who's one of the pioneers that wrote about maladjustedness, talked about motor sensory and intellectual overexcitabilities. Right. Um, you know, oftentimes mentally gifted kids are just intense. I mean, they are. You know, when they're engaged in the task, they're they're engaged all the way. You know, full tilt. And they can be highly energetic, exuberant, manic-like in the pursuit of a task, but they're usually goal-directed and organized. There's, 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 it, it's not just that they're just sort of jumping around and a kind of a, a like a chicken without a head, without, without sort of a plan, a goal, a project that, that they're approaching in a kind of a step. Usually they are, there, there's a plan, there's a goal, there's, there's a set-wise uh, 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 um, approach to kind of completing it all, but it's all done with intensity, and and it can kind of come on the surface appear like it's like it's hyperactivity when when it's really not. It's 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 just speaks to the intensity of their their mental life, of the intensity of energy that they're putting into uh, a project. Um, you know, some some mentally gifted kids, you know, their minds are, uh, minds are traveling a mile a minute, and they, they, they are just bursting with excitement and abundant knowledge that they just want to share. And um, it, it may be torture for them to kind of sit, wait, wait to be called on, raise their hand. Um, and, and so, you know, they, they, they may impulsively blurt out ideas, but it's not necessarily a reflection of how impulsive they are. It's maybe a reflection of just the uncontained, well, how can I put it, the, 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 the utter enthusiasm about ideas that they're having in the moment. They can't quite contain themselves and need, need to show that they know what is being discussed and that they can quickly arrive at the answer and demonstrate that. Um uh, just and, and, and in general, just for a mentally gifted kid in the average classroom, sitting there waiting for other students to catch up, uh, uh, waiting to be called on, the waiting, the endless repetition. We don't want to, you know, there are, when you're around a mentally gifted kid, it's stunning oftentimes how quickly they can pick up on concepts, and they really don't need a lot of repetition for that knowledge to stick in their brain. Uh, and we, do, we we don't quite want to believe that there are children born that way that just kind of operate in, in a mental world like that. And so it's hard for 
people to kind of see how the endless repetition required in a classroom for sort of kids under normal circumstances to learn can be extraordinarily off-putting to a mentally gifted kid and just fill, fill them with frustration while they're sitting around kind of waiting because they've moved on, mentally speaking. And just containing all the waiting, self-regulation, frustration, excitement, that can cause fidgetiness, squirminess, agitation, that on the surface looks ADHD-like, but 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 it really isn't. So, you know, so that that that's the those are what I would consider to be the kind of the, the, the sort of the confines, if you will, with ADHD. I mean, I can go on and talk about you know the confines of high-functioning autism or Asperger's, but you know, uh, I'll pause there. Something I'd like to point out that you you made a connection here, and I think it's really important to to mention this and tell me if I'm correct in my thinking with this because I've known this, but for the first time I think I just put these two thoughts together here. And that mm-hmm. is, you know, a lot of times um, gifted kids, and I know one of my sons, um, not my son with Asperger, but one of my other sons who um, was a sweet kid. I mean, he didn't seem to have any problems um, in his learning and development the way my son with Asperger did. But something that teachers always complained about with him is he was unable to show his work. But what baffled mm-hmm. him was he was right every single time. I mean, advanced <laughs> concepts mathematically, you know, to this day. I mean, that's, you know, he's he works yeah. in intelligence. But, um, you know, that's something. And so these two thoughts came together for me as you were talking about misunderstanding the, these behaviors. And that mm-hmm. is... No, these kids often don't show their work, and at the same time, mm-hmm. they don't they don't show their thoughts. If that makes sense, their mm-hmm. thoughts are jumping ten thoughts ahead, and so what mm-hmm. you might perceive as, like you said, aimlessly, you know, just jumping around in their minds, it has a very real um, process to them. It's just that their processors, their the way mm-hmm. they process is so advanced and so mm-hmm. developed that they they aren't going to always show their work just like they're not going to show their thoughts. And so you think they jump from one to the next, but they're just ten steps ahead. Is that a good way to characterize that? I, I, absolutely. And, of course, one of the fallouts that I've experienced in my practice with uh, uh, mentally gifted children not showing their work is n- now we get into the domain of, you know, are they being oppositional? Are they being noncompliant? You know, so for, for for teachers who, for one reason or another, um, really perhaps overvalue uh, uh, compliance, good organization, protocol, classroom protocol, then a, a mentally gifted student who doesn't show their work can start to appear to them to be sort of an oppositional student or, a, you know, a, a non-compliant student, and that can kind of, you know, you know, uh, lead lead the other uh, ugly outcome. Right. Well, and you know that was one of my questions, and I'll just jump it up here a little bit early mm-hmm. because that's a really sensitive subject for us as well. When my son, um, who is um, the one with the, as far as we know, the highest measured IQ of all three of my children in the high one forties from an early mm-hmm. age, also mm-hmm. diagnosed with Asperger syndrome. Um, 
also diagnosed before I understood giftedness, before we really um, had the testing done, the first thing he was diagnosed with was oppositional defiant disorder, which is uh-huh. just one of the worst labels, I think, and, and almost every professional I meet couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's important, as you point that out, that gifted children are often very logical and rigid in their thinking. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. is often mistaken. You know, it, um, one of the... Uh, people who, um, I can't speak tonight, who collaborated on our first book, The ADHD Autism Connection, Um, Dr. Paul Elliott, he had a lot to do in ADHD, and he said, in trying to figure out my son, he was sort of helping us as we were going along before we wrote the book, and he said, I think this oppositional behavior appears to be more of a resistance to being interrupted than it is... Trying to control, and I thought, oh, I just hugged him. I said, "You get it? How come? You know? Well, we know because they're not trained that way." But that was Very exactly interesting. right. It's, just, yeah. it's like, yeah, that, and that that may dovetail with this, the perfectionism. You know, not, not wanting to leave an opening for the other person to talk until you've completely uh, uh, articulated the idea or a set of ideas that you're trying to articulate. In, with the full complexity, you know. Right. But, but I think, I mean, the other thing with op- oppositionality, or, or at least m- misconstrued as oppositionality, is oftentimes, you know, the mentally gifted uh, uh, child's uh, uh, tendency to assume that logic should always guide actions, and, 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 and that may result in them having a blind spot for social tact. Right. So, so for instance... So they may, they may, they may, they may be the the students that are that can see the contradictions in a teacher's argument, or that can uh, uh, see how the teacher missed four or five important points in order to kind of substantiate a point of view, and, and point that out. And that they're pointing it out not because they're trying to be difficult. It's because they they have remarkable logical reasoning skills where they, 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 they feel like they can't hold back for rational reasons because it's just rationally, uh, uh, um, there's some failure in logic or some rational misstep that a teacher's taken, and it just has to be pointed out for rational right, reasons, right. not for <laughs> oppositional reasons. So, so I have a great example about that that I write about in my book. I have this kid that I've seen forever in my practice who... Um, one during a test, the teacher told him, just informally, just casually, you know, just take all the time you need, you know, to finish this. Mm-hmm. And so, what did he do? He was he was still answering. It was a history test. Uh-oh. He was answering question number one. He was on page like eight of his <laughs> essay answer to question number one, and it was maybe like ten questions on the test. And everybody started to leave the classroom. Oh no! And the said. And he was the last one there, and the teacher said, oh, we're going to have to finish. And he was beside himself with anger because the teacher, he had taken it very logically. Right. He said, take all the time you need, and he was taking all the time he And he literally followed her back to her office, uh-huh. ranting and raving. And the teacher, and that, and, and every, you know, at the school, everyone thought that, oh, my goodness, do we have a, you know, do we have, what do we have on our hands here? And, if, right. you know, I, and I think what we had on our hands here was a, a highly gifted child who's 
extremely logical. And, and when you deal with teachers, you have to deal with kids like that, you need to be very careful in their choice of words and understand that words have, you know, logical meaning, very logical right. meaning. And it's not just the, you know, the gist of the message that you're wanting to get across to the kid. No, it's a logical statement that you're making. So I have um, a, I have a, quickly, I have a similar example to give you. And just, I'm laughing to myself, but it, it wasn't funny at the time. My, um, one of my sons, his middle name is uh, John, and it, it was a long story, but he was named after, and we always told him the story, after John the Baptist because um, we had been in a Bible study. We had infertility issues, and it was the same, similar thing when, with John the Baptist um, and uh, in his conception. So make a long story short, he's in a Sunday school class once, and I went to retrieve him, and the teacher was really upset with him to the point of telling me he wasn't sure if he could return the next week. Well, this is the child who never, ever had issues with authority or with education. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And um, the, the teacher had told him, well, surely you're mistaken. You can't be named after John the Baptist because your name is spelled J-O-N. Ah. Well, that's my mistake because I thought Benjamin Kennedy was so many letters, I tried to save a letter. That's all that was. Uh-huh. And he said yes, and he's telling the story about his birth and the whole story he uh-huh. heard, you know, his whole life. And he was just insistent. And this, all it took was for this um, yeah. Sunday school teacher to argue with him, and he knew he was right. And it was an escalated drama. And yeah. I had to come in and kind of, I think maybe there was a very rigid Sunday school teacher as well. <laughs> Like, mm-hmm. you can't have that name. You can't be named after John the Baptist because yeah. that's spelled J-O-H-N. <laughs> and, well, I had, and, I had a situation um, a couple of weeks ago where I was doing a classroom observation on a seven-year-old boy that I was assessing. And uh, I, I, the 45 minutes I was there, they were doing a spelling test the entire time. And I had already established that this boy was gifted. He had an IQ of about 135. And um, and dur- during the spelling test, um, the teacher asked the kids to spell the word drugstore. And the the child that I you know was observing became very formal and 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 put his hand up and said, "But but that's two words. You said that we were only going to be this is we're going to be." Spelling single words today, oh, and the wow. teacher was kind of, and he was, he was, he was literally, he was emo- he was having an emotional moment. This, this for him was a big deal, right? You know, um, a two, two, this was a t- two words, and this was unfair and unjust, and and I think with mentally gifted kids, that's very common. Issues of they may come across as self righteous with respect to just things being rational and right and correct and. And they come out of it with a sense of principle, and you know, and, and, and a lot of educators, I think, just misperceive that as a, as as a as an oppositional child, and that there's a sort of an edge to it, as this as this a bipolar express, you know, form of behavior. When oftentimes, no, we're dealing with a kind of a, a mentally gifted child who's hyper-rational, so then you have to almost change your frame. And the way that you approach the situation and the child, and that you have to accept, maybe take ownership for kind of 
the, the, yes, you're right. That is that is two words, and that's very bright of you to point that out. I hadn't right. even thought of that. You know, the really taking. You know, I think educators and parents may need to kind of see things through a rational lens in those moments and take ownership for how their word. It might not have been the best choice of words, but the best, the, the most clear, uh, well-worded, you know, instruction or explanation. And I think. That requires a degree of, you know, humility, I think, on, uh, on adults' part and teachers' part that, that needs to come into play, I think, in these types of situations. You're exactly right, and I'm glad you, you brought that up, too, about it. it's the way it's perceived. And as we talk about um, an important point that you bring up and, and we certainly concur with is it's the lead in it's the lens in which we look through to view these traits. And for mm-hmm. teachers and mental health providers, ADHD and seeing these behaviors equal, it's like the equation, these behaviors mm-hmm. equal ADHD is just mm-hmm. all too common. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, especially when it comes to any kind of disruptive behaviors we've been describing, it's mm-hmm. it's like that's an immediate place that their mind goes or their assessment you know, um, mm-hmm. their um, assessment of the, the child or the situation goes because they know that these behaviors have been, they've been taught that these mm-hmm. behaviors are ADHD. And when well, we and com- the, the other- no, when we can, we combine that with the stereotype thinking about giftedness, that's when mm-hmm. we run into trouble. So tell us, how can we help the professionals? Because a lot of times we tell parents, you know, you you have to forgive them. They've been trained to understand mm-hmm. this, and they've not mm-hmm. been trained, unfortunately, in what gifted behavior looks like. So how can how can we help them? How can parents help kind of in a polite way educate? Mm-hmm. This is a stereotype, and this is certainly not always ADHD behavior. How do we help the professionals? That, that, that's a very good point, and I, I like your 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 sort of way of uh, mentioning the, how, how do you politely kind of bring it up. And unfortunately, I mean, I, and I'm in the field, and I'm in the profession, and I unfortunately I think in the mental health field, um, you know, many mental health professionals working with children are just not adequately educated and trained in the whole area of mental giftedness. So parents may need to actually take on an advocacy role. And, they, you know, vis-a-vis shifting the dialogue with school personnel and the direction of mental giftedness and, and, um, and, and calling attention to these kind of personality traits and cognitive styles, if you will, that, that link it up with giftedness and not evidence of a disorder. In other words, parents are going to have to play an advocacy role there um, in uh, uh, raising these issues and, 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 and having to go about it, I think, in polite ways, non-defensive ways, maybe framing it as questions. You know, I know that, you know, in other words, not coming across necessarily with answers, but, but raising the question. You know, I know that, that you're saying that this distractibility, this distractibility and attention, impulsiveness, forgetfulness might be seen as evidence of ADHD, but couldn't it also be you know, an outcome of 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 um, just mental giftedness and having to kind of like contain. Uh, uh, so you don't want to say boredom because I don't think the average educator likes that 
that, that they may have bored children in their classroom as a result of their teaching style or whatnot. Right. <laughs> yeah, to be, yeah it, it, it involves really finessing the message. Um, and But I, I would suggest framing a question, could, could it be this? Could it be that instead of this? And framing it as a question. Um, I, I, but, but the, the essential message here is I think parents are going to have to take on that advocacy role um, vis-a-vis the uh, child. And, and, and frankly, I mean, I think maybe as schools, you can't assume that schools can provide everything for our children. Right. So parents may need to supplement for and complement what they're not receiving at school. And so if a child is highly gifted in a specific area, and, and, and their needs are not getting met within the school system, be they, be they highly musically talented, artistically talented, uh, uh, whatever that talent is, to, 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 to look outside of the school extracurricularly to kind of try to continue to uh, support that child's talent. Absolutely, um, uh, and and I I couldn't agree with you more that you know it's got to be a mutual respect. We can't you know too often we get into these um, you know scrapes and and arguments about um, a wrong intention. And mm-hmm. I, I like to believe that if we start with just uh, assuming everyone has the right intention. And mm-hmm. then we see where there's a conflict. It could just mm-hmm. be a lack of education. Mm-hmm. But you know, also you know, as as much as I know, IQ scores have fallen out of favor. I mean, I think that's where an IQ score could come in, and and not necessarily uh, an overall IQ score, but it could be IQ scores in, in certain domains. Mm-hmm. You know, like it, you know, because oftentimes mentally gifted kids could be. You know, have, and the cutoff is usually 130, 130 for mental giftedness. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, if there's, you know, a, a, a verbal uh, comprehension on the WISC, for instance, it's 130 or above, even though the others aren't, or maybe they all line up, you know, but, but, but that score can be, I think, uh, an advocacy point, if you will, that it's sort of now you've got a score is incontrovertible. It's, it's, this is the evidence that my child is gifted um, versus just, you know, kind of that parent's opinion. On what. And so I think that falling back on that score, I, I think, can be important for advocacy reasons. In my experience, that that takes all the does away. Uh, that, 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 that they've achieved the score in this domain, uh, you know, once they're a year above, and that that is sort of clear cut evidence of mental giftedness. So that so so starting the discussion from there, if you will. Absolutely, and you know, I'm sure you would agree um, that even sometimes these children don't always, you know, their their IQ is not always revealed in their test scores. They can come out lower than yep. what they really are, but the but you have to look at if they have tested high, there's no such mm-hmm. thing as a false positive. You that, you that, certainly that. can test lower, but it's impossible mm-hmm. to test mm-hmm. higher if you're not really um you know, functioning in one of those ranges. Am I right? But, yeah. But uh, more often than not at least that I and I've tested hundreds and hundreds of ch- children and adolescents over the years, more often than not with mentally gifted kids, they're their 
they're scoring extraordinarily high somewhere, you know, on a on a on a on, on cognitive testing, and that's why I, I really like to use the Woodcock Johnson uh, mm-hmm. test because you have you have more uh, domains that are being tested, and more often than not, you know, you, you see spikes um, that line up with what your intuitions in the room are telling you that you're with an extraordinarily bright kid. So in my experience. If you use the right tests under the right conditions, typically you get those spike IQ spikes that, that you know that line up with the, you know a child's you know tr- true ability or demonstrate or you know or, or, or substantiate you know a child's intellectualism. Right, and you know, um, are you familiar with Dr. Linda Silverman? Do you know who she is? She um, she works in the field of gifted. She's done a lot of research in the uh-huh. testing. Uh-huh. And we've had her on the program several times. And she um, she has a new book out called Gifted 101 to where she points out this is a very important overlooked area that we've got to make sure we're getting the assessment right. Yeah. We've, we've got to start with that because anymore we've, we've kind of chopped away and, you know, we've gotten these... Um, these practices of evaluating children in such mm-hmm. a small way that we're not looking at the full picture, at the mm-hmm. full psycho um, dynamic, um, you know, the full scope. We're just not looking mm-hmm. at everything. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know if we have more time, or uh, but, I mean, it seems there, there's some important ideas I think uh, to share with listeners regarding just the. The interface between mental giftedness and then high functioning autism or Asperger's. I don't know if we have time for that. Or... We do. Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. We can cover that here before we wrap mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have. You know, there's a there's a key chapter in my my new book. Mm-hmm. It's titled uh, Autism Spectrum Disorder or a Brainy Willful uh, Introverted Boy. Mm-hmm. And so I. So I really kind of unpack that, you know, the, the, these sort of, the, these distinctions. And, you know, on the face of it, there, there's a lot of similarities between high-functioning autism and mental giftedness. You know, oftentimes these are kids that are excellent memory, areas of real, you know, pronounced intelligence. They may incessantly ask questions. They may seem like adult-like or intellectualized beyond their years. Um, uh, uh, you know, they often they share kind of sensory motor integration issues uh, and so on and so forth. But when you really spend time with m- mentally gifted kids, there, there are distinctions that come into play. So, for instance, as I've noticed over the years, uh, uh, usually with mentally gifted kids, when you put them around other children with their same intellectual passions or interests or what are true peers or true kindred spirit, you start to see a, a social and emotional capacity. They start to appear chummy, there's a ver- verbal give and take, and they feed off each other's excitement. So, they, so you start to see more social and emotional reciprocity, a desire to relate to, to those other kids who have common interests or who are their true intellectual peers. 
But with, with kids who have uh, high-functioning autism or Asperger's, you, usually you don't necessarily see them come alive socially and emotionally when they're around, you know, uh, other peer, true peers like that. So they may continue to, like, talk over them, seem indifferent, not that excited. They're not necessarily laughing along with or modulating their voice tone or their activity or their affect along with those other kids. They're not necessarily in sync socially and emotionally. So that's one distinction that, that I've seen. Um, oftentimes, mentally gifted kids are kind of socially aware. They can talk about how others see them. They can realize how they came across. They can, like, take in uh, feedback about their behavior. They might get a little distressed about the, uh, um, their problems fitting in with peers. Uh, uh, you talk about that. You're a little bit self-conscious about that. With kids who truly are on the spectrum, they're, they're more likely to be indifferent to how they're coming across socially. Um, what I've seen over the years, too, is that in terms of, like, circumscribed, really restricted interest, uh, you know, if you're high-function autistic kids, oftentimes they're highly, the, the interest that they become obsessed about, you're often a little bit more kind of arcane, uh, uh, and there's longevity to it. So, for instance, they might become kind of obsessed about the Civil War or dinosaurs or serial numbers, you know, or different types of washing machines that they want to visit department stores to see if they have them. And and, and, and those interests stick over time. Mentally gifted kids oftentimes will maybe, – maybe there's a, a – a kind of a complete obsessional interest in the civil war, but then they move on to other things. They may, they may springboard off of that into kind of an interest in warfare in general and kind of the history of warfare. So, right. so you'll see, so you'll see that, that a same degree of kind of obsessionality and, and, you know, and, and, you know, maybe where, where it sort of really monopolizes their, the, the content of what they want to talk about. But oftentimes, they, they, they'll, they'll, their interest won't, won't be so restricted over time. They'll, they'll shift and morph and move on to other things. Um, and then with, with mentally gifted kids, when they, when they, they have tr- trouble with transitions and trouble with kind of conforming to rules and following kind of classroom protocols, Usually it's not a kind of a, a, a basic anxiety around this sort of change and a need for things to be the same, as, as you'll see with kids on the spectrum. Usually the issue has to do with kind of an obsession with things like fairness and justice and rationality. Um, uh, and, and, and so it's not so they're resistant to transition because, because they're not finished reading the chapter that they're reading and so in all the details and or they're, they're you know or they're uh, not wanting to kind of go from history class to science class because they're they're complete and utter history buff and and the science teacher they may seem as see as kind of uh, uh, not teaching science with a degree of kind of complexity and interest that that, that matches with the way their mind works. You know, so when you look at the, when you really examine those resistance to transitions or following classroom protocol, you know, what, what motivates that is qualitatively different oftentimes with mental gifted kids. So, I mean, those are some kind of 
you know, and and then and turn, what I found over the years is, you know, a sense of humor. You know, uh, I'm thinking, and I'll end on this. I, I don't know where, where we're at with time, but um, uh, oftentimes with kids on the spectrum, they can be very concrete and kind of lack a sense of humor and kind of mesh puns and double entendres or absurdities. And that is, you know, I like to call it the Monty Python rule. <laughs> you know, it, it's really bizarre, but a lot of mentally gifted kids that I think were showing to Monty Python too, and the absurd, absurdity speak to them. Puns, really clever puns speak to them. Oftentimes with kids on the spectrum, you just don't see that. So, so sometimes I don't even really need to do an assessment with kids. I'm thinking of a case to, to know the distinction. I'm thinking of a case I had a couple of years ago where I went out into the waiting room to meet this child. Well, I'd, I'd seen him a couple of times, and I'd, I had just met with his mother, and I was talking with her, and he was waiting in the waiting room. And I went out to the waiting room, and I said to him, speak of the devil. You know, look who it is. Right. And he got a smile on his face, and he came back into the room. And we had we had, had play therapy sessions prior to this encounter, and so he, you know, I, I, you know, if listeners are interested in my second book, I really, you know, outline a model of participatory play therapy that I use working with kids who tend to have kind of self-regulation issues. He came back to the office and he said, speak of the devil, I am the devil and I'm going to cut your head off. And he picked oh my up God. A, rubber, a rubber sword and came at me. And right. I knew right then and there that he was not on the spectrum. I didn't need to do the uh, full battery of tests, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that, that degree of just kind of an appreciation to kind of, and yet serious questions had been asked about regarding this boy being on the spectrum. And, you know, and that was why the mother had come to me in the first place to do an assessment with him. So, you know, so that, that distinction, um, you know, is, is another one to bear in for, for listeners to bear in mind when they're kind of thinking long and hard about what category to put their child in. Is it giftedness? Is it, you know, child perhaps being high-functioning autism? These, to me, are all relevant considerations. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it is important, too, to point out that sometimes when a child can have a degree of both, which, of course, mm-hmm. is the term twice exceptional, The important thing is to make sure that you do have an understanding of those characteristics that are autistic, Mm -hmm. but also Mm -hmm. the giftedness. And as you've pointed out here and we've talked about tonight, it's the giftedness that seems to be the least understood. And sometimes we try to overcompensate for the explanations through the disorder. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that there's not characteristics of a disorder, but it means that the giftedness needs to be the first thing that's assessed. And I think you mentioned mm-hmm. that in, in your article that that I highlighted earlier today, um, the mentally gifted, not mentally disordered, where mm-hmm. we've, we've got to make sure that we've got um, both sides of the coin, but the first thing we should always look at is the possibility of, is this mm-hmm. giftedness? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, at one level, we, we, we shouldn't throw common sense out the window, nor our own intuitions. And I think oftentimes when you sit with a mentally gifted child, if we're talking about an older child, you, 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 the way they put ideas together, the complexity, the, the, the degree of detail, the, the, you know, the, the word choices, the vocabulary, you kind of, 
intuit that you're sitting with a child who's, you know, exceptionally bright. So I think for mental health professionals, I mean, oftentimes we are trying to discount our own subjective experiences and, and only rely on standardized tests and so on and so forth. I think that sometimes can be disastrous, and especially when trying to assess for kind of autism spectrum disorder because I think it in that interpersonal subjective realm that that the it's in that realm where where the where the 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 important data exists to pay attention to with respect to kind of the diagnostic process um if a child is is laughing while I'm laughing or you know um in other words, that, that, that interpersonal data, I think, is, is, is super important. One's own intuitions in the room uh, to allow ourselves to be informed by that uh, uh, is super important. Absolutely. I, you have been so helpful tonight. I've enjoyed our discussion. <laughs> and I, I think um, this is one form of helping to educate parents, helping to train professionals. I know we have a lot of parents and professionals who listen to our programs, and if we all help just kind of spread, um, you know, these these facts about giftedness that are often misunderstood and also about this confusion between giftedness and disorders, we will help um, sort of evolve our thinking, and hopefully someday the training will catch up with that thinking. That's our, our goal. We hope so. Mm-hmm. But um, I hope we, so. we thank you so much, and, and I think, um, you know, definitely we will be inviting you back once your book is released in the fall, but we can okay. talk more in, in depth about that back to normal. We will anxiously await um, the arrival of that book. Um, now, do you have an exact date when it will be out this fall? <laughs> You know, I'm being told by Beacon Press uh, September 17th, which sometime in the middle of September it will be released, yeah. Well, we will definitely have you back then. We'll stay in touch and, and we'll make sure that we, um, we're we one of the first people to talk about your new book. And we also would like to tell our listeners tonight, if, um, if right now if there's a place they can find you, your website or Facebook mm-hmm. or, or anywhere where you are, go ahead and tell them where to find you. You know, I, of course, have an unusual name. I, I would say just g- g- Google me. I, ha- I do have a website, and on my website, I'll spell my first name is, is spelled E-N-R-I-C-O. It's an Italian name, Enrico, which is Italian for Henry. And my last name is spelled G-N-A-U-L-A-T-I. And, uh, yeah, I, and on my website, there's, you know, uh, links to kind of articles that I've published and um, that, that might be of interest. To, to listeners. Wonderful. Well, we have certainly enjoyed um, having you on the program and in um, your sharing of all your wonderful insights and, and knowledge um, on this very important topic. And we'll look forward to having you back again. Thank you so much for being our guest tonight. And I really appreciate you having me on your show, Diane. Well, we're we're very glad to do it, and we will certainly have you back again. And before we go here tonight, I want to remind everyone about our fantastic sponsor, Mayor Johnson. With every child, there's a solution. Explore a variety of their educational solutions at mayorjohnson.com. That's M-A-Y-E-R-J-O-H-N-S-O-N.com. I am Diane Kennedy, the host of the Bright Not Broken radio show, along with Rebecca Banks. 
And uh, on the coffee clutch, we thank you so much and wish you a very good evening. Thank you.